0: Thank you for downloading this episode of the Real Ag Radio podcast brought to you by Canola Master. Our equipment is designed to maximize canola yields. With the 160 acres of gold giveaway, we're providing one grower with everything essential to seed, grow, and harvest a quarter section. Enter today at canolamaster.ca. Conditions apply.
1: It's time for Real Ag Radio on Rural Radio Channel 147 on Sirius XM. Radio and realagriculture.com is your home for insight and analysis of the issues that are impacting your farm business. Let's get real and get connected with Real Egg Radio.
0: Welcome, welcome, welcome. You know, whenever I say that I I picture like I I got my hands, you you guys can picture me sitting here with my hands together doing like a kind of an evil little evil top with my hands as i as i welcome you <laughs> somehow we are at thursday already Better yet, we're at December first. I'm your host Cara Oosteros, and we get to hang out for the next hour with, of course, some great folks from across Canada here on Real Egg Radio on Rural Radio 147. Today's Farmer Rapid Fire is going to be a great one. I can feel it. I mean, hey, it's December. December is just such a good month. We've got a terrific lineup for you. You'll hear Phil Shaw of Ontario, Drew Spolster of Ontario. Jocelyn Wasco of Saskatchewan, Andrea Strovisawa of Alberta, and Derwin Hammond, who is the Western Manitoba Sales Agronomist for Pioneer Seeds Canada, which, as mentioned, is the sponsor for today's show. If you have any questions, comments, feedback, send me an email, k-o-o-s-t-e-r-h-u-i-s at realagriculture.com, Or you could also call the Real Life Listener line. We do not bite, I swear. 855 776 6147. Or you can find us on all the major social media platforms as well. Coming up after the break, we've got Phil Shaw. Don't go anywhere.
1: It's now time for a product spotlight. We're talking to Derek McLean. He is Category Country Specialist with Roquette. So, Derek, what have you been hearing from growers about working with Roquette through these contracts?
2: So it's very important that we have open communication lines back and forth with our growers. At the end of the day, we need to make sure that we have growers uh, with us over the long term. So it, it's really important that, uh, you know, we sit down, work through contracting options, working through pricing, being as transparent as possible with our growers. The other thing that we've learned from them is we've really, uh, we needed an online app. And so now we've got that Grow with Roquette app that uh, provides our farmers uh, 24-7 uh, pricing and uh, information uh, from anywhere in the world. So uh, that's been good feedback from us as well.
1: Right, great stuff. If you want more information, you can go to the website com. Derek, thanks a lot for joining us here today on Real Life Radio. Thanks for having me. appreciate it.
0: Welcome back to Real Ag Radio here on Rural Radio 147 on Sirius XM. I'm your host, Kara Oosterhaus. Okay, let's get this show rolling. Starting off the Farmer Rapid Fire, which is of course brought to you by Pioneer Seeds Canada. We are headed to southern Ontario to visit Phil Shaw. How's dressing today, Phil?
2: I'm okay, Kara. Nice to uh nice to chat with you.
0: Absolutely. I know it's. Uh, I, I know you've popped on some of our lives before and things like that, but it's always a bit different when you actually get to directly talk to somebody.
2: Yeah, well, it's always good to chat, especially with our friends from Western Canada.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so tell me a bit about your operation. Uh, you're in the deep south of Ontario. D- tell me what you've got going on over there.
2: Well, I farm in Chatham-Kent near the small town of Dresden. I farm about 800 and uh, 35 acres of corn, wheat, and soybeans in this area, and um, you know things right at this time of the year kind of wrapped up. But I've done that uh, all of my life, and uh, it keeps me busy.
0: How did corn harvest wrap up this year?
2: Well, corn harvest was over about uh, it was over about uh, three weeks ago, three weeks to a month ago, and in this part of uh, southwestern Ontario, we had extremely dry weather this year. So the corn was damaged. Our our corn was about uh, 30 percent less than a year ago, and uh, soybeans were less than our average as well. So, because we really don't think of it here, because we spend we spend so much money putting drainage tile in to get rid of water. Uh, Moisture is something that we're always in have abundance of, and um, so I really don't know how to answer that question other than it was too dry from from June to uh, August, Uh, you know, Ontario is a big place. If you take myself uh, close to Windsor, Ontario, then go all the way to the east to the Quebec border, the, the geographic diversity of Ontario is quite a bit. So just because I was dry doesn't mean everybody else was dry in Ontario. In fact, the Ontario corn yield this year is quite healthy. It might not be quite what it was last year, but it's quite healthy because other people got the rains. And that made for a better crop for them, especially as you got closer to the Quebec border.
0: I know, it's amazing. It's it's one province, but it's, uh, man, there's a lot of space to carry. And I feel like reporting it as, you know, av- oh, yields were average or whatever is not always the most accurate depiction of what it looked like.
2: And I think that's especially true this year because uh, you take myself, for example, I'm within, well, just an easy drive to Detroit, Michigan, and then the guys toward the Quebec border, they're an easy drive to Montreal. And so if you think of the distance between those two and not only that, but the latitude difference and the cultural difference as well and the soil difference, there's a huge difference across Ontario. So it's hard to put, uh, you know, kind of a common denominator on how the crop was here because it goes over such a, a huge swath and uh, so I I know exactly what you're saying when you say that.
0: Do you tend to go down to the U.S. quite a bit, or do you deal with other provinces, or you tend to kind of stick in your neck of the woods?
2: Well, down here in the deep southwestern Ontario, Detroit is our main city, so we're very used to going over there, especially pre-pandemic. I mean, I used to be a season ticket holder to the Detroit Pistons, and you can always find all kinds of Canadians uh, at the Detroit Thanksgiving game. So, you know, we're more akin to Uh, We have more of a relationship with the U.S. Midwest than we do with uh, people east of Toronto, you know, toward the Quebec border. But uh, uh, that's just the nature of of where we're at. There's uh, the people in eastern Ontario would have relationships with people in northern New York and people in Quebec. So it's just a big place and a very diverse uh, agricultural landscape here in Ontario.
0: And how do you think that impacts your farming by being able to have those conversations and see the different perspectives? You know, get out of our own little bubble.
2: I I, I think that one of the biggest challenges uh, with regard to farming perspectives is um, the language difference in Ontario and Quebec. Like I've got quite a relationship with a lot are French-speaking farmers, but I don't speak French myself. And sometimes I think the language barrier in this country keeps us from learning more about each other when you can't speak French or they can't speak English. And so I I don't think it relates that much to us relating to our American friends, but I always like to learn more about people in other areas, whether it's in Ontario, whether it's in Quebec. Because of the language barrier, sometimes that holds us up, but If we try hard, sometimes we can get through that, learning more about French Canada and how they do things and the different cultures that are involved. That's what I really find interesting. I think that there's basically three agricultural countries in Canada. One is Western Canada, one is Ontario, and one is Quebec. And I think because of the language barrier, it's hard to understand each other. And unless you, you go to each other's territory and and see the cultural differences and and understand the history sometimes it's it's hard to understand the way things work when you consider the greater realm of Canadian agricultural policy you just imagine the challenges the agriculture minister would have when he'd have to speak French and English and understand all of the different ways things happen and in French Canadian agriculture and in Ontario and in Western Canada. When
0: looking at, you know, Quebec and, and the rest of Canada and you, you talk about the quote unquote political will, do you think Western Canada, Ontario, do you think we need to have more of a political will to get those things done?
2: I can't really comment on Western Canada, Carol, because I um, love my friends out there, love love your program, <laughs> but it's... The differences in scale between Western Canada and where I farm in Ontario and where my friends farm in Quebec are so vast. like it's just hard to relate sometimes because you your farms are so big out there and they, you have different you have different uh, wants and needs and, and things that make make your agricultural economy work like for instance rail cars, the concept of rail cars and railways, And how you move grain in Western Canada is a tremendous system. But we have nothing like that here. We don't even think about rail cars. So if you just think about that fact alone, where our Western Canadian friends are constantly thinking about transporting grain to somewhere where they can get it sold, whether it's Vancouver or in the United States or Thunder Bay or or somewhere else. In Ontario, we don't think about that a lot. And because we process a lot of what we grow here, I'm thinking about, corn for ethanol and we ship out to open water uh, through the St. Lawrence system. So there's just some vast differences between uh, both areas and, uh, you know, so it's kind of a mixed bag when you talk about that.
0: Some very, very solid points there as, yeah, we are, we all fall under the same country and it's important we remember that, but uh, there are a lot of differences throughout the country. And speaking of which, now sometimes what kind of brings us together in the wintertime is going to conferences. You know, there's a lot of people that travel across the country to go to some of their favourites. Do you have any plans for any winter education or or business growth?
2: Uh, I don't, really. Uh, you have a lot more of that in Western Canada. <laughs> it, it it seems like you do anyway. Like, we don't have very much of that in Eastern Canada. Uh, I speak... At, Quite a few events in eastern Canada uh, on marketing and, and, and things like that at different venues where I get invited. For instance, I spoke at the Prince Edward Island Grain and Oil Seed Conference uh, just pre pandemic before the w- world ended. And of course, since then, with the pandemic, we haven't had anything right now. That's just starting up again. But one of the biggest things that people in southwestern Ontario do in February is they go to the Louisville Farm Show, which is about a, a six to eight hour drive from. From here, and that's where a lot of people go to learn different things on what's going on and in equipment. And they also can attend seminars there. I know I like to try to make it every year, but since the pandemic started, I haven't been there. But I hope that changes.
0: I know we usually go down to that one as well and it's always I, I remember my very first one. I was uh very surprised with how many people from Ontario were down there. You know, you just you run into yes, a lot right. of Canadians at that show, which is great to see.
2: Yes, that's right. That's right. But I think you have more of them in Western Canada and from what I see anyway on social media sites like Twitter, it seems like you have more opportunity for that type of thing.
0: So you mentioned a lot of speaking engagements you had pre-pandemic and maybe post-pandemic. Do you want to talk about uh, some of your what you're speaking about when it comes to marketing and maybe what some of the main messages you're sending to producers right now?
2: Well, I write market trends for the grain farmers of Ontario uh, 14 times a year. So I kind of monitor grain price conditions in Ontario and also comment on futures prices in the United States. So typically I'm, I have been asked to speak in Western Canada a couple of times in Alberta, and I have done that, but generally what I concentrate on isn't really suited to Western Canada. It's suited more to Eastern Canada. So I speak about grain prices and, in across Ontario, and Quebec, and the Maritimes, and I get invited from time to time across the province of, of Ontario and Quebec and the Maritimes to speak on these things. And and so I comment on, on agricultural futures prices, corn, wheat, and soybeans mainly, but also we have unique cash markets within Ontario and Quebec and the Maritimes. And so I, I try to monitor uh, the different uh, variances that we have with regard to cash markets in Ontario and Quebec and the Maritimes. And from, time to, and from time to time, I get invited to speak about that. And I also write that uh, for the Grain Farmers of Ontario in Market Trends and also my, my other column that's published on DTN and it's in the Ontario Farmer here uh, as well. So generally speaking, as you move east in eastern Canada, uh, the basis for grain prices gets higher. So typically, where I am in Southwestern Ontario, we have some of the lower grain prices um, and as you move toward the Quebec border, just because the market changes, there's less grain available, plus there's an extremely dynamic livestock market, whether it's beef or whether it's dairy or whether it's hogs, where the demand for corn grows and then increasingly, we have a a export market out of the st lawrence uh into places like europe where we have preferential uh tariffs on some of our corn going into europe and so uh basis bids for grain across that area are different and so i get to comment on that from time to time and when i'm asked to speak at different venues whether it's a conference or whether it's uh, a farm meeting, uh, sometimes that works out for me to go and I get to comment on those things as well.
0: Okay. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time. That is probably my least favorite part about the farmer rapid fire it is uh, it's rapid and we got to keep moving across the country. But uh, thank you so much for your time, Phil. Well,
2: it's certainly a pleasure chatting with you, Kara.
0: And staying out east in Ontario, we are now headed over to Benbrook, Ontario to chat with Drew Spolstra. Drew, how is it going today?
3: Not too bad. How are you doing?
0: I am doing good. So tell me a bit about uh, what you do out there. Well, we have
3: a dairy and grain farm in Binbrook, and uh, we work a couple thousand acres and, and milk 60 cows, and my wife and I raise Clydesdale horses. So uh always lots on the go, and just for fun, uh, I'm vice president of the Ontario Federation of Agriculture.
0: How long have you been involved with politics?
3: I've been involved with the Federation for nine years now, and uh, I'm the executive for six. Uh, probably too long, but... I'm still involved.
0: Were you involved with any other boards prior to the Ontario Federation of Agriculture?
3: More local stuff, uh, but nothing provincially until I got involved with OFA.
0: Okay, awesome. So, tell me a bit about uh, what. What stood out to me was the Clydesdales. Do you have? Uh, do you have quite a few of them?
3: Yeah, we work with uh, my in-laws, and between the two of us, we have around forty-five, and we uh, we breed and, and raise them, and, and show them, train them, that kind of thing, and uh, hopefully sell a few here and there. So it has been going all right.
0: So, is that about the average number you keep on farms? About forty-five?
3: Oh uh, yeah, it varies different parts of the year, but usually there's uh, about that many around. We have about ten or twelve folds every year, and so we raise them up and buy and sell a few and and whatnot. So they're uh, they're a lot of fun, and and uh, my wife takes care of it mostly, and and she does a great job with it.
0: Tell me a bit about the dairy operation. What what do you guys do there?
3: Ah uh, yeah, just your typical dairy farm. Um, we have uh, an older tie stall barn. We milk uh, about 55, 60 cows. We are actually in the process of getting a new barn built, uh, hopefully starting next spring, and we're, we're moving to robotics. So putting in uh, a milking robot at a, robotic feeding system as well so we're looking forward to getting that project started coming up next spring
0: the milking robot how how does that work and and how many head would it cover is it like do you need a few to go through all those
3: no it'll be one robot for uh, our our amount of cows uh, we're gonna build the barn room for a second one and uh, they'll milk anywhere between sort of 50 to 75 cows-ish per robot. One will be good enough for us to get started and then hopefully as we grow, we'll have uh, have the option of putting a second one in to fill the barn up.
0: Any crop out there?
3: We still have a bit of corn to harvest. Um, there's uh, It's been a pretty good fall. We've had uh, a lot of good opportunities to get crops off. We've just been running a bit behind. We've been working on uh, some other projects and, uh, and got a little behind, but hopefully there's still uh, some time for us. We don't have much snow yet, so We'll uh, we'll be able to get this corn off hopefully in the next couple of weeks and get things wrapped up.
0: Family operation out there or like what what generation are you guys on?
3: Yeah, I'm actually, I I consider myself second generation. My parents uh, pretty much started it from scratch. They had a little bit of help along the way and uh, and then then I've been uh, working my way into the business as well so it's yeah you know, it's my parents and I and my wife and uh, my kids are still pretty small so no involvement from them yet but hopefully sometime in the future they'll they'll get into it
0: at least they'll have the milking robots by the time they're involved Hey
3: yeah, maybe it'll keep them interested.
0: So talk about how kind of being involved with OFA and as well on the farm how both of those have maybe helped each other out how do how do they play hand in hand?
3: It's, it's always good uh, I've always found it interesting to be sort Sort of on the, the leading edge of some of the discussions on what's happening and, uh, you know, farm regulations and that type of thing, what's coming down the pipe, what's going to happen to us next, and, you know, how we can work towards making some of that stuff better. Um, so, you know, it's always good, uh, I think, for any any farmer to be involved in their commodity organization or, or general farm organization and, and really get a feel for, for what the government's direction is, uh, you know, be it federal, municipal, or provincial government, And, uh, you know, really what's coming down the pipe next and and what uh, what farmers might have to comply with or how we can make regulation better and and, uh, you know, how we can support a better future for the industry going forward. So, you know, I think uh, I think bottom line, it's good for good for farmers to be involved in some way and uh, just another way to help support and grow their businesses as well.
0: And now, I I know of course there is tons always going on at OFA. What, what currently is the focus? What would you say you guys are really working on right now?
3: Uh, all things land use. We have a number of issues going on right now in Ontario when it comes to farmland and land use. Certainly there's a lot from um, development and and turning farmland, prime ag land into other uses. Certainly not something that we're uh, in favor of. So we're we're trying to push back a little bit on government, really find better solutions going forward to to building houses and, and, uh, you know, turning farmland into other uses because it's just not a sustainable path. Only 5% of our land is really suitable for farm and food production. So, we need to find better ways going forward to build houses and and um, you know other other uses other than agriculture because you know we certainly know that we need the houses and we need places for people to live but uh, people need to eat too and uh, that's just as important part of the conversation as it is to, to put a roof over people's head. That's uh, that's probably the main thing and then like you said, there's lots of other things going on as well: uh, carbon tax and and climate change files. Uh, labor is a big one, but land use really has dominated a lot of our time here recently and we're just trying to make things better. We've got a board of uh, 18 people, farmers from across the province and uh, a great complement of staff as well and I think all of these people are really uh you know doing their best to pull together and and try and uh make things better for agriculture going forward. Well,
0: that's unfortunately all the time we have, but uh, thank you very much for your time.
3: You bet. Appreciate it, Cara. Thanks.
0: Okay, folks, we just got to go to a quick break, but coming up after the break, we are headed on over to East End, Saskatchewan to catch up with Jocelyn Wasco. Stay tuned on Rural Radio 147 on Sirius XM. Farming is one of the most demanding jobs in the world, which is why farmers deserve an advantage. The Pride Seeds Advantage. For maximum yield, tonnage, and return on investment, get best-in-class seed genetics together with industry-leading traits and seed treatment protection. Plus, you can work directly with the Pride Seeds team to get personal agronomy guidance and products designed to help you take full advantage of your seed's genetic potential. Visit your local dealer today or visit prideseeds.com to learn more.
4: What were the issues in your fields this year?
0: Did you do a soil sample? What is your
4: soil sample telling you about some of the nutrient issues that you might be having going into next year? What herbicides did you use? What residues might you might be concerned about? What weed issues did you have? What crop residues did you have? How well do you know your fields? Get the answers to all the questions you have about your pulse crop at The
2: Pulse School on realagriculture.com. Be the
5: first
4: stop on every crop tour with Optimum Gly, coming soon from Corteva AgriScience.
0: Optimum Gly is an advanced herbicide-tolerant trait technology designed to optimize growth in your canola, giving you excellent yield potential, improved crop safety, and enhanced weed control. When it comes time for crop tours, everyone will want to take a look. Something big is coming in canola. Optimum Gly from Corteva AgriScience. Learn more at
4: optimumgly.corteva.ca.
0: Welcome back to Real Ag Radio here on Rural Radio 147 on Sirius XM. I am your host for today, Kara Oosterhouse. Okay, we have lots more to talk about. Today's Farmer Rapid Fire is brought to you by Pioneer Seeds Canada. So be sure to go check them out on social media and their website as well. Heading on over now to East End Saskatchewan, I now have here with me Jocelyn Wasco who is in my cold neck of the woods i mean we're we're not the same province but ugh, i hope it's warmed up there
5: uh definitely not warmer hey Kara. um we are kind of into a deep freeze winter came early this year and she did not come pleasantly
0: did she bring any moisture for you guys
5: uh, yeah it's funny um so after just this record drought that we had Travis, my husband and I drove to each other. I think the only way that we can get any moisture in this country is in the form of a blizzard. So that's how winter came, and I mean, I guess we're thankful for it. But yeah, I could, I could do with a few less extremes.
0: Yeah, that's that's exactly. You're like, yeah, I'm I'm thankful for the moisture, but man, oh man, like if we could just have a nice June rain once in a while, that'd be great.
5: Oh. It would be lovely, yes. But, you know, beggars can't be choosers and all that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so it's been a while since you've been on the Farmer Rapid Fire. Somehow we are at December already. I know I got my notification on Spotify today that it's like your Spotify wrapped is here. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, we are already at <laughs> that time of the year. It went uh, – seemed, it seemed to go
5: real quick. It sure did. I know. It, um yeah, it always flies by, but – I never It never ceases to amaze me.
0: How, how was the fall for you guys? Talk about kind of your operation and how things went.
5: Um, the fall was, I guess, what it was. Harvest was quite terrible for us and everyone in the area. We just didn't pull off the crops that anybody was expecting. Um, we're kind of used to drought, but this was definitely an extreme. Um, kind of changed a lot of the grazing as well. We had to kind of turn into the swath grazing. little. Earth. We um, turned cows out onto swaths double kind of as early as we could um, just to kind of take advantage of that our grass just got burnt up pretty bad so um, the fall was kind of tricky and then um, again fall was short because snow came quite quickly so um, we did have to move some cows after that just a little bit closer to home they're still grazing Um, they can kind of get down in there. We've got some cows down south, a little further from our home operation here, and um, they can still kind of dig through the snow. Our purebreds are still out grazing on hilltops and stuff. So, I mean, we we do make our cows graze. They are they're used to it. They kind of understand the program here. But we are going to start feeding here right away, just because we're seeing those like minus twenty five, minus thirty temperatures overnight. And yeah, we just cows can't keep up with just grazing anymore. So I don't know. The fall was interesting. It um. We've kind of tried to forget about the drought. You can never really forget about it. But we're moving on here and, um, yeah, just focusing on kind of our winter feeding plans.
0: So how do you make that call when it comes to uh, pulling the cows off the grass? You look mostly at those overnight temperatures? No, it's
5: more like a grass management thing. So we don't want to stay in those pastures for too long. And then we do want them closer to home, obviously, for weaning. So we have a group of cows in a grazing allotment. Those get kicked out at a certain date, um, just kind of... Anyone who's in a grazing allotment knows that they have their end dates. So then we kind of kick those closer to home. And then the ones that we're out grazing, we just kind of rotate closer to home so that we're ready to go for weaning. I wouldn't say it's a temperature thing. It's more just um, time management and our like usual rotation.
0: And you said you're making a bit of a feeding plan. When do you start kind of working on that feeding plan? I mean, I know every year it's probably a bit similar, but when do you really hammer down what's going to be done?
5: Uh, when we count the bales in the stack yard. <laughs> uh,
0: honestly. Our
5: goal is always we only want to feed 100 days. That's always our goal. We like our cows out on grass as much as possible, but Mother Nature is always the number one deciding factor on that. So once we kind of wrapped up, we put up all of our own feed. So that's one thing. So we can kind of make those decisions on our own. Um, and then we realized that we were going to be short feed. We, um, With the grain farming operation, we did some straw bunches this year, which worked awesome. They're still kind of chewing away on those. A couple, a little bit of swath grazing going on as well. So that's how we try to prolong um, our actual going out and feeding them. We try to keep that fall as much grazing as possible. But um, yeah, so we're about a month earlier than we would like to be feeding right now. So now, again, we're reassessing and we know we have to buy some more feed to get us through the winter. So you're right. It changes all the time, but um, it's all just an inventory thing.
0: I guess going forward, when do you guys usually typically calve? Is, is that a part of your operation as well?
5: Yeah. Um, we are commercial cows that are um, always just, they calve all on their own. They start um, about middle of April Around that 12th to 18th is when we want to start those commercial cows. Our purebreds, we start the heifers uh, March 18th and then the cows April 1st. So we're all spring calving because we don't want to calve in a barn. Um, we have the bull sailing February. That's another major contributor to our calving operation. We did not want to be
0: trying to calve cows
5: at the same time because that's just too much going on in the barn. So we do it all in the spring and we like to calve them out on grass.
0: And talk about the bull sale. What what does that mean to your operation?
5: Uh, well, that's the bread and butter, of the purebred. This will be our 41st annual bull sale. So that was started by my grandfather um, and then my dad uh, took that over. And then again, we moved that operation here to East End with my husband and I. So we have um, our annual bull sale on the ranch here. It's going to be February 3rd this year. We're kind of getting into bull sale mode right now. We're gonna bring the bulls. The bulls right now are grazing on uh, 300 acres, and we just go down and feed them every other day. And then we're gonna bring them home because we have to start doing pictures. And my husband's starting to build the catalog now. A bull sale never—you you don't have a start and an end date. Um, if you talk about the PRing that goes with it, it's all year round. Selecting your genetics—that's all year round. Making sure that you have a good full crop. The logistics, I guess, are just, it's a full-time, full year-round operation.
0: Do you guys do any showing of any of the purebreds? We don't. Uh, I grew up, like I did junior Hereford shows, and I
5: really did enjoy that. My, our kids are just a little bit too young to kind of get into that world, um, but it, I hope it's in our future. We're going to try to start with 4-H here. We just quite, aren't quite ready to take on yet another thing. <laughs> so. No, we haven't quite ventured into the show world.
0: Do you guys have, uh, obviously it's, like you said, it's... Crazy busy winter every year. Do you have any anticipation to go to any shows? Is that something you guys usually do?
5: Last year, Travis and I did get to the um, Hereford Showcase in Red Deer. Unfortunately, that was right during weaning this year, so we couldn't quite make that one work. Exhibitions on the plan for next year. Again, we're um, we're selling bred heifers right now, so so we've got a bread sale coming up on Monday. So, um, no, we just got, we've just got a couple things going on that kind of tend to keep us home in this November. Uh, run a show so
0: and talk about uh i mean these winter months like you said it can be cold we're happy to have some moisture but man when you look out your window and you can't see uh anything because it's just snowing sideways talk about how you keep your head on straight throughout the winter months anything you guys do around there
5: oh gosh um well we've learned to dress really well uh brave the elements You just kind of get over it. We do take some time away from the ranch for sure. Like our feeding program is set. um, We divide and conquer so that we're not out all day, every day in the cold. And then um, we will take some time to, you know, do take a family holiday. It's amazing what will happen if you just go skiing for three days and come back and you're like totally refreshed and ready to brave the deep freeze yet again. So we, we do take some breaks for sure
0: okay well unfortunately we are out of time um the rapid fire has got to keep on going but uh thank you very much for your time (laughs) jocelyn
5: you bet thanks Kara. talk to you soon
0: okay keeping in the deep freeze after the break we're headed on over to tabor alberta stay tuned to the farmer rapid fire brought to you by pioneer seeds canada
1: Here's what Wheat Pete's word on RealAgriculture.com is all about in under 30 seconds. It's wheat time. I love wheat time. I love wheat. Get that sulfur on. Get that seeding rate right. Get that nitrogen on your wheat right. Get that protein. Know your variety. Know when you need to put fungicides on. Pick your product. Pick your rate. Do the right job. Get this wheat crop right. Have a nice day. Grow amazing wheat.
3: Want to get the best out of your soybean crops? Whether you've been growing them for a generation or are just starting into soybeans, find what you need to know at soybeanschool.com. You'll see videos on growing tips, pest control, and much more from specialists across the region, all in one place. Easy for you to access from your desktop, tablet, or mobile phone. Maximize your yields by staying up to date with the Soybean School, presented by BASF, Pride Seeds, and Syngenta Canada.
0: Welcome back to Real Ag Radio on Roll Radio 147 here on Sirius XM. I am your host, Kara Oosterhaus, and we are continuing with the Farmer Rapid fire seeing as it is thursday and of course i would be remiss if i didn't mention that our farmer rapid fire is made possible through our friends at pioneer seeds canada thank you very much for your support okay i know throughout the show i keep talking about how cold it is but you guys it is like minus 30 celsius it is (coughs) winter is here are you staying warm over there andrea we're staying warm. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Trying to, anyways. And I guess I got a little distracted by the coldness and uh, missed a step here. My guest today is Andrea Strovisawa of Tabor, Alberta. So I am, I'm about an hour from, from Andra and man, oh man, it is, yeah. Anyways, we're moving on. For listeners that aren't aware, t- uh, tell us a bit about your operation. Yeah, so
4: um, I own a 5,500 head feed lot. We mostly custom feed, which means I feed cattle for um, other people as a service for other people that own the cattle. Um, and then we, uh, in the spring and summertime, we make compost and we have a little farm store. We sell beef and eggs out of our farm store. And then we have a bunch of local vendors there as well. And we have chickens and we do a yearling grazing program um, or yearling grazing in the spring and summertime as well
0: <laughs> it's always interesting because i feel like uh we talked to a lot of grain farmers and you know now i'm asking you know what are the plans for the winter what are they going to keep busy doing and you guys are the opposite it is uh it's busy time right now
4: yeah yeah i uh last week was our like we always have one beat week that's like Really, really, really busy. So fall run kind of started a little bit late this year and fall run's when all the calves kind of start coming in off grass and come into the feedlot. So we started a little bit later than I normally would. And actually my dad, who's pretty much semi pretty much retired, we'll say he's retired, kept coming in the office and saying, Andrea, are the calves coming yet? Andrea, any word on calves? Calves coming in? And uh, he just left, and went away on holidays, and I texted him and said, "Hey, Dad, the calves come in. The calves are in. Don't they're, worry, they're here." So last week was our busiest week, and we, um, like for us, we're we're small, a small feedlot, but we I think last week we received twelve hundred and fifty head. so that's a big week for us. So that was our busy, busy week.
0: Wow. So for yeah. for so for, for people that are kind of outside the Alberta feedlot loop here. Do you want to explain yeah. kind of what what happens during those busy weeks? What, is, what does processing look like? And talk about rec- record-keeping, all that as all these calves are coming in.
4: Yeah, so all the calves come in um, off grass, and sometimes they come direct from the ranch, or sometimes they come through an auction market. And that really kind of dictates what we do with them when they arrive on the yard. So the first thing, I usually let them rest, for about, like if they've been hauled for about five or six hours, and we try to rest them for double that time before we do anything with them. So they just go into a pen, they have lots and lots of bedding, and then a bale of hay, and then feed in the bunk, and of course water, clean water, and we spend a lot of time in the pens with them. And then after they've kind of rested for the, you know, whatever I deem, is the acceptable time then we uh, go ahead and vaccinate them so they'll come in we put them through to squeeze they come in we'll scan their ccia tag and that creates an electronic record in our computer system so we'll know everything that we've ever done to that animal while it's on our yard um and so we'll scan the animal it'll get an we'll probably take out the ranch tag It'll get a new feedlot tag with a feedlot number that will correspond to the CCIA tag number. And then we'll give um, vaccines, so two different kinds of vaccines. And then depending on where they come from, sometimes we'll treat them with an antimicrobial on arrival, and sometimes we won't. And it just really depends on their history and where they came from and what I know about them. And then they'll get uh, an antiparasitic. And then depending on customer and Sometimes we have to give a brand, sometimes we have to give two tags, sometimes we leave the ranch tag in and record that, but it, it, it all differs on which customer. And then after that's done, it's just getting them up on feed and getting them eating and drinking and doing all the things that they're supposed to do. So, that's kind of our big challenge in the, in the fall time.
0: Are are most of the calves newly weaned that show up at the yard? Most of the time. Yeah, most of the time. Sometimes we'll get some that are
4: preconditioned. So they have been weaned and then vaccinated on their own place and then preconditioned for two to three weeks. But most of the ones that we get will come in and they'll be freshly weaned. So... Yeah, loud for about a day, and then it kind of tapers off.
0: These people you often feed for—do they stay the same every year? Do you have a lot of repeat customers, or how does that usually work?
4: I how I always have um, like kind of a core group of people that I like. I'll feed through the entire year with, so they kind of stay with me all the way through, and just cycle through new sets of cattle. Um, But then I'll like I always. It kind of differs, um, but it really depends on who's organized and who books early enough. Those seem to be the, the ones that kind of stay with me. I could, I, yeah, I always have a list of people that if your this band doesn't fill, I'll, cu- I'll let me know. I have some cattle that I can send you. So, <laughs> but most of the time it's the same people that I've kind of developed a relationship with. And yeah. So, it, yeah, it's kind of the same customers. But in the old days, like when when I was younger, we would feed for, like, we'd probably have 20 or 25, 30 different customers. And, like, every pen would be a different customer. Now it's kind of consolidated quite a bit. And it's, you know, five or six different customers with more cattle. So, like, one customer will send in 2,000 head and another one I'll send in 1,000. And then you have a couple that are just a pen here or there. But that's very different than what it is what it used to be.
0: Is that the trend in the feedlot industry for the most part? I would say so. Um, That's what I see for
4: sure. Um, And I would say, you know, there's a lot less of the, you know, the ranchers retaining ownership and feeding through the entire um, feeding system. I I do have some and I really enjoy working with them. Um, But most of them are like a lot of what I do is all backgrounds for a larger feedlot and so then I'll background them and then send them in at like 900 pounds to be finished for feedlot at their own feedlot but and I really enjoy backgrounding. It's my it's one of my favorite things to do.
0: So talk about your grazing program yeah. you mentioned a spring summer grazing program when did that kind of start mm-hmm. and, and how has that evolved? Yeah
4: that started before I was born in probably 1979. Um, my dad. They started with a continual grazing system, and uh, dead mum went down to a, a course held by Alan Savory in, I believe it was 19, yeah, it was 1980, because I was six months old. I actually went to, so I say I learned by osmosis, but they went down to an Alan Savory course, um, and it was in the States, and it was two weeks long at the time, and they Um, took his whole course on holistic management and kind of changed our continuous grazing system into 65 different paddocks and four different grazing cells. And that's currently what I manage. So we started off um, on one grazing cell. We started off with 2.36 animal days to the acre. And we're currently stocking at, I think it was roughly around 117 animal days to the acre last year. So, made a huge increase and I've seen huge increases in water cycle, mineral cycle, and of course, you know, biodiversity and um, organic matter and all kinds of stuff on the land. So, yeah, it's kind of evolved and the challenge for me now, here I am, 35, 40 years later, um, and my challenge is we've already increased our land exponentially, obviously, so how do I take it further than that? Like the first gain I'm gonna say is a little bit easy to take large of the land and make it better. But now I have to like my job is to make not only just maintain it but keep going. So it's been a little bit tricky to kind of keep increasing at that kind of level. Like what's the next thing and how do I push further than that without you know, changing the entire system. So yeah, it's been a challenge been a challenge but we're getting there we're getting
0: there okay Andrea unfortunately that is all we have for time I could I could actually talk about this stuff for quite some time maybe we will have to do a part two somewhere along the road but I'm sure we will uh, catch up again soon so thank you very much for your time great to chat with you Tara we'll talk to you soon okay don't go anywhere we are going to catch up with our sponsor Pioneer Seeds Canada right after the break
1: Better returns? Start with seed that belongs where it's planted. Proven Seed has the widest locally tested seed portfolio in Western Canada. Our hybrids and varieties are tested by hundreds of growers, so we know how our seed will perform on your soil. Start your season strong with the right seed for your acres. Contact your local representative or head to your nearest Nutrien Ag Solutions retail location to find your proven seed fit. The Corn School on realagriculture.com has everything you need to take your crop to the next level. Want expert agronomic advice? The Corn School brings you top-notch expertise. Want the latest research? The Corn School brings you cutting-edge research through conference coverage, trial results, and more. And the best part? It's all free and available on your smartphone, laptop, or device anywhere, anytime. The Corn School on realagriculture.com brought to you by BASF and Pride Seeds.
2: We call ourselves Canola Master because we want every canola grower to achieve growing perfection. That's why we're launching the 160 Acres of Gold Giveaway and giving you a chance to win everything essential for 160 acres of canola, including agronomy, premium seed, use of our most advanced seed drill, fertilizer, crop protection, and everything essential for harvest. Master your canola with the 160 Acres of Gold Giveaway. Conditions apply. Learn more at canolamaster.ca.
0: Welcome back to Real Ag Radio on Rural Radio 147 here on Sirius XM. I am your host for today's Farmer Rapid Fire. My name is Kara Oosterhaus. You have now heard from farmers across the country, but we are now honing in on Manitoba to talk with Derwin Hammond, who is a sales agronomist for Western Manitoba based out of Brandon And of course, sales agronomist for what? For Pioneer Seeds Canada, which today's show is brought to you by Pioneer Seeds Canada. How is it going today, Derwin?
6: Oh, very good. Uh, Thanks for having me.
0: So we are in peak seed selling season. I am sure you have been very busy. You have lots of producers coming in asking you all sorts of questions. What are some of the considerations you're telling them when it comes to selecting a hybrid?
6: We're getting to that stage. Stage of the year uh tail end of the year where growers are starting to finalize and firm up those those cropping plans on their acres and uh this year in uh, in manitoba on the canola side uh, lots of disease pressure but maybe from different diseases than we've typically seen in the past planting was delayed and into june for uh the majority of the canola crop and then so wet early and then hotter, drier weather uh, later on in the season. That kind of tends to favor diseases like blackleg that that uh, need that moisture early on. Verticillium wilt's another one. Moist conditions early to get the infection into the plant, and then hotter weather later tends to favor the development of those diseases. That hotter, drier weather later in the season around flowering and through potting not so favorable for sclerotinia. So. A bit of a, a different pattern maybe from typical and so that's uh, I guess one of the things talking to growers about as they look at the different traits for resistance in the, in the various uh, hybrids just trying to help them prioritize you know what should be their focus. And we're planning for next year and not for last year so kind of keeping in mind some of those historical things as well as as what happened this past year.
0: And, and I'm sure there's no cut and dry answer here, but when you say you're not planning for last year, you're planning for the next year, how how many years average are you kind of looking at it when it comes to selecting those hybrids?
6: I, I guess a good example is hope, hopefully this year's canola isn't going back on the canola acres, it's going on cereal acres or soybeans or corn um, and where those crops were last year. And so you know just having to look back and thinking back to the last time canola was on those acres and what some of the 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 major uh, challenges were in terms of the productivity on those acres with which diseases were prevalent the last time canola was on on those particular fields and keeping that in mind you, you know don't want to ignore uh, some of the challenges that we faced last year but just taking that historical look back on the farm and what typically uh, mother nature rarely gives us a repeat performance two years in a row. So um, it's tough to predict what type of season we're going to have and, and, and which particular pests it may favor. Uh, So you, you kind of need to take a, a historical look at your farm and particular fields and, and what the challenges are to yield uh, for canola on those fields and in some cases if you've got fields where you're having perennial issues on with a particular disease you know rotation can be an important tool in trying to reduce inoculum loads for for key diseases blackleg is one that does respond to a bigger break between canola crops so maybe looking at some of those alternative crops that I mentioned for an extra year and some of those rotations on specific fields.
0: And, I mean, this is all terrific information. Talk about the importance of planning. I mean, you can't look, well, not, not even just planning, but record-keeping. Like, you can't look at your historical data if you don't have it.
6: Yeah, and that's a really good point, right? The, the focus often tends to be everybody will, the, the yield that they got on those fields from those crops historically will be top of mind and that's probably recorded but things like disease incidents you know how successful i was in terms of plant population what the what those uh, crops looked like and and what some of those key disease levels were you know that's extra information that over time can give you a lot better perspective on what your particular challenges are on 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 your farm and on specific fields within your farm and uh, and help you kind of narrow that list um, among the hybrids available, they're always going to vary that they'll have certain strengths and weaknesses in terms of resistance to pests and and uh, and other trait characteristics that you're interested in and, and trying to find the best fit for each of your fields you really need need some some records to help you uh, narrow that list of all the traits that are available.
0: And, and now looking at uh, your area specifically, is is there any traits specifically that producers are really looking for?
6: Certainly uh, various disease packages. But like I say, a lot of the discussion this fall is focused around things like blackleg because we saw a little more of it this past year. And it's just important not to forget about, you know, Um, historically sclerotinia economically you know we have good tools in terms of foliar fungicide and we have some resistance in our our lineup with certain hybrids uh, to that disease as well so we've got some tools that we can work with but historically from an economic standpoint it's still probably been number one in terms of uh, yield challenge uh, in canola so um, you know, you just can't forget about about that as as you look towards next year. N- you know, not knowing what uh, what the weather pattern may be and w- and which diseases it may favor. Certainly, across Western Canada, you get into you know further west, and and club route a, a little bigger deal on lots of fields. Some new races showing up, so. Looking at the trade package to ensure it, it's a fit on those fields is important as well.
0: And when producers are selecting those hybrids for next year, what would you say is kind of the number one mistake they often make or what do they miss? I think
6: I've kind of alluded to it is, and, and it's it's human nature that the challenge we face most recently is the one that's always top of mind. And so, it again, just goes back to uh, taking a step back and, and that broader picture, you know, over the last several years what it would have been the major challenges on the farm on for that particular crop so focused a bit on canola but and and then the record-keeping piece as we talked about you know i know for us we're introducing a new trade on the soybean side with the enlist and and uh 240 uh tolerance and so going to be spraying different chemistries on some of those acres so you know, again, the importance of accurate record keeping in terms of which crops went where, and and uh, and that's an important part of record keeping as well. What varieties were growing on those fields historically uh, can give you some insights into. You know, if you were happy with the performance, then uh, you you may want to continue. If you weren't, then, then it may be an opportunity to make a change.
0: Okay, any other messages you would like to send to producers before we wrap up here?
6: Good luck with your planning for next year and, you know, again, keeping an eye toward where the opportunities may be.
0: Okay, thank you very much for your time.
6: All right, thank you.
0: And thanks to everyone for tuning in to the Farmer Rapid Fire brought to you by Pioneer Seeds Canada. As always, it's been a blast. It just goes by so quick. If you have any feedback on today's show, send me me an email at RealAgriculture.com, or find me on Twitter at Kara Oosterhouse or you can find us, the Real Ag team, on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube and even on TikTok. You can call the Real Ag listener line 855-776-6147. Thanks everyone for getting real and getting connected with Real Ag Radio. We'll talk soon. Thank you for downloading this episode of Real Ag Radio, brought to you by Canola Master. We call ourselves Canola Master because we want every canola grower to achieve growing perfection. Master your canola with the 160 acres of gold giveaway. Enter today at canolamaster.ca. Conditions apply.